0: In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was seven years old, I went to camp for the first time at Camp Balcone Springs. One of the camp's main attractions was called The Blob. The blob was a giant inflatable balloon, sort of like the floor of a bouncy house, and it sat on the edge of the lake. When it was time to go out to the lake, one kid would climb up this tower. To me, at seven years old, it seemed like it was taller than this cathedral. And you'd walk out on this wooden platform, again, to me at seven years old, It felt like those old pirate movies where you'd walk the plank. And then you'd jump off this plank onto the blob and you'd launch this other kid on the blob out into the lake. And then you'd crawl out to the front of the blob and the camper behind you would jump and launch you out into the lake. Now at seven years old, I was a thoughtful kid. That's the word I like to use. The more accurate word may have been timid or even scared. And I remember I had so many questions about the blob. What if I jumped and I missed it? Or what if I jumped and instead of propelling the kid forward, I propelled the kid in front of me backwards and he landed on top of me? Or what if I jumped and I changed my mind in the middle of the air? Every morning at camp, my counselor would ask me, Mark, are you ready to jump today? And every day my answer was, not, not yet, not today, not today. Last Sunday we gathered and we sang, Jesus Christ is risen today, and there were drums and there were cymbals, and the celebrant proclaimed, Alleluia, Christ is risen, and you all said, The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. And in the gospel, Mary found the tomb was empty and she encountered Jesus and she ran to the other disciples to share the good news. And all of this would lead me to believe that this Easter season's readings should be about what it means to live on this side of the resurrection. Living with confidence that God is victorious. Proclaiming that Good has triumphed over evil, and light has overcome darkness, and life has defeated death. That's what I would expect this Easter season. And instead, we find readings that are very different. Today, we read about the disciples who are so afraid they've locked themselves in an upper room. And we read about Thomas who refuses to believe what his friends are telling him. And next Sunday, we'll read about two disciples who walk this road to Emmaus with a stranger, never realizing on the journey that they're talking with Jesus himself. And the following Sunday, in a sort of flashback in the ministry of Jesus, we'll read about Jesus saying, he is the good shepherd. And the disciples are confused. How could he be the good shepherd? Isn't that God... The following Sunday, Jesus says, Believe in God, believe also in me. And Philip says, probably speaking for all the disciples, Show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. In other words, in reading after reading after reading this Easter season, we see that the followers of Jesus just didn't believe. They didn't believe that Jesus could have returned from the dead, They didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Our readings this Easter season are filled with doubt. And I wonder if that's because so many of us confront so much doubt. Now I'm going to say something that may have never been said from this pulpit before. Dean, Kate, please don't fire me. But there are lots of good reasons to doubt the Christian message. After all, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. That is a long time. Moreover, I've never seen anyone come back from the dead. Have any of you? And if God does exist, why would he care about me? Why would God care about you? It's easy to doubt the Christian message. And frankly, since I'm on a roll here, I've got more bad news. (laughs) If you want to have children, there are lots of reasons to doubt that is the right decision. (laughs) Kids cry a lot at night. I know. I know from experience. Children can be annoying. Trust me, I grew up with three siblings. Or you're thinking about taking a new job. Well, there are lots of reasons to doubt that that will work out. What if you don't like your new boss? What if the company goes out of business? More bad news. You've been saving up for a dream vacation. There are lots of reasons to doubt you'll enjoy it. What if there's bad weather, or your flight's canceled, or someone steals your luggage? We can come up with lots of reasons not to take the leap not to have children, not to take that job, not to go on that dream vacation, and lots of reasons to doubt the Christian message. But here's my question. Is that really the way we want to go through life? Doubting everything, doubting leading to inaction? After all, if we refuse to decide we're making a decision. If we refuse to act, we're setting a course of action. If we don't believe, we are implicitly stating our beliefs. In the gospel reading today, we glimpse at least three major doubts that the followers of Jesus had 2,000 years ago and that we may share with them even today. First of all, They doubted because they didn't believe the witnesses' stories. Easter's reading ended with Mary Magdalene running to the other disciples and saying, I have seen the Lord. Nonetheless, in the passage we read this morning, immediately following the Easter passage, we read, it was evening and the doors of the house were locked. If the disciples had believed Mary, don't you think they would have gone out looking for Jesus? Don't you think that some of them may have gone back to the tomb where Mary said she encountered him so they could meet him there also? They clearly doubted what she was saying. They didn't believe her. And then after Jesus appeared to the disciples, And they told Thomas in almost the same words Mary had used with them. They said, we have seen the Lord. This time, Thomas didn't believe them. But haven't we all heard a story that's hard to believe? Don't we all have these sorts of doubts? Someone will tell us that their prayers were miraculously answered. And we doubt, we wonder, maybe it was just a coincidence. Or someone will tell us that God spoke to them in a dream and we'll wonder if it was really God talking or that extra glass of Pinot Noir they had the night before. But notice what the disciples did, even as they struggled to believe each other. They continued to show up. They continued to support one another. They continued to gather, even in this room gathering together. And that's the first lesson for us. Even if you have doubts, it's important that you be a part of this community, that you show up, show up for worship, show up in a small group, show up with your friends. Second, second, I suspect that a lot of the disciples' doubt was driven by fear fear is a very powerful force Jesus had just been put to death who is to say the disciples wouldn't be next so the disciples went to a house they knew and they locked all the doors and they probably turned on all the floodlights and set the alarm and diligently watched their Wi-Fi security cameras no one was getting in You see, they were convinced that it was safer to not believe anything about Jesus, because if they believed that he was alive, they would probably feel compelled to go outside and search for him, to unlock the doors, to talk to people about Jesus, to ask others if they'd seen him. And again, I wonder if we feel the same way. Doubt is safer than belief. After all, if you really believe the Christian message, you may also feel compelled to make changes in your life, to spend your time differently, to allocate your money differently, to shift your priorities. And that can be intimidating. Frankly, that can even be scary. But if we're driven by fear there's a solution. We can follow the path that the disciples took. Notice that the first time Jesus appeared to the disciples in the reading today, the doors are locked. The next time that Jesus appears, the doors are just closed. And by the time we get to the reading from Acts, all 12 disciples are out in the crowd and Peter is not just speaking, but he's loudly proclaiming the good news of God's love as embodied in Jesus Christ. The disciples may have been driven by doubt and fear, but we see this gradual process of their growing bravery. Third, third, Thomas doubted because he didn't understand. He couldn't get his head around the idea of the resurrection. He was a very concrete thinker. He wanted 100% incontrovertible evidence. Unless I see the mark of the nail in his hands and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And frankly, I suspect that many of us are also concrete thinkers. We live in a society where all of the answers to our questions can be found at our fingertips. We have Google and Wikipedia and all of humanity's knowledge accessible on your phone. And now we have ChatGPT and Google Bard where you can just ask a question, almost any question imaginable, and a computer will give you an answer within seconds. We want certainty, we want clarity, we want the facts. But our faith calls us to have just that, faith. God is so much greater than we are. If we ever get to the point where we think we can fully understand God, I promise you, that is not God you are thinking about. God is too great to fit inside my mind or yours or any of our minds. There are times when we're called to take a leap of faith. When Jesus appeared to Thomas, he told him to reach out and touch his wounds, to see the proof. And then in the very last words that John's gospel records Jesus speaking, Jesus says... Blessed are you who have not seen and yet have come to believe. In other words, Jesus' parting words were to you and to me, to those of us who don't have definitive proof, to those of us who didn't see the resurrection firsthand, but have chosen to believe. After all, there are good reasons to have doubts about the Christian faith. But there are also very, very good reasons to believe the claims of the Christian faith. In our legal system, you're required to, to have a preponderance of evidence. That's the legal terminology to win a civil case. Or proof beyond a reasonable doubt to be convicted in a criminal case. But notice that we're never required to prove something with absolute certainty. And that's probably because there is very little in life that we can prove with absolute certainty. So the question for most of us is what do we do when there is good evidence, maybe even great evidence for the claims of Christianity, but we still have some doubt, we still have some uncertainty, will we make that leap? For me, it wasn't until the last day of Camp Balcony Springs that I told my counselor I was ready to jump on the blob. And I remember climbing that tower and walking that plank and seeing that kid in front of me and not knowing if he would go forward into the lake or backwards onto me and I remember jumping, and it was the most fun thing I did that whole summer. I wondered why I had waited so long to make this leap, why I had let my doubts stop me, why I had let my doubts get in the way. There are so many reasons to have doubts. You might not want to trust in the experience of others, the witness of others. You might have some fear about how your faith will change your life. You might be a concrete thinker who wants 100% incontrovertible evidence. But Thomas and the other disciples give us a path to follow if we face these sorts of doubts. First, keep showing up we should keep gathering in a community even if we have a d- have doubts and maybe most especially if we have doubts second if we're looking for total safety in our faith we should practice bravery unlocking the door to god's presence in our lives regardless of how that may call us to change and third if we like thomas absolute certainty we should remember Jesus's final admonition as recorded in John's Gospel blessed are those who have not seen yet have come to believe in short if you've been hampered or inhibited or or inhibited or stymied because of your doubts I want you to ask yourself if today is the day when you're called to make the leap. Amen.